0: podcast it is take a palooza part two I really wanted to bring this back I really enjoy this I've done this a couple of times over the last handful of years where I just unload a handful of takes that I have left over and then I'm out of here right like I've I got about 14 15 takes just sitting on my computer and I'm like I want to I got to get them out right it's it's almost like so with my process here like I I you know I'm just I see a story, I'll I'll listen to a podcast or I'll I'll have a thought and I'll go to my computer, I'll write out a take and then it'll kind of sit there and if it works for certain pods, I'll like slide it in there. But if it doesn't, sometimes like it'll, you know, maybe one pod goes by two, three, four before you know it, a month goes by and I'm like, I really like that take or like that thought I wanted to get it in there. Uh, so this is my opportunity to kind of do that. I always remember there was this Nas song called Book of Rhymes where he just rapped little verses from his Book of Rhymes where he clearly had this notebook journal where he just wrote verses and, and when when they hit him and sometimes they didn't fit, have anywhere to put them and so he put them into a song. I guess that's how this is. So I had about 14, 15 takes. I wanted to split them into two pots. Part one is already out. Make sure you go check on it. I hit on Xavier Betts. There's an interesting quote on Jeff Sims, Ryan Kalkbrenner, Uh, Got some thoughts on him. Kese Tominaga, his decision to come back. The SEC sticking with eight conference games. I get into that. That's all on part one. So make sure you go check that out. Today is part two. Got an email about Marcus Satterfield and Tony White. Got some thoughts about sports gambling. Got some thoughts on the Big Ten and some teams terrified of night games in November. Got... Matt Rule going old school was something I'm going to get into. A, a deep thought that that hit me about Coach Prime and his persona at Colorado. Got some thoughts on creating attendance um, for basketball. And I even got a little Miami Heat take in there as well. That's all coming up on on part two. So let's get to it. Take a Palooza part two. Here we go. Let's start with that email I got on uh, Tony White and Marcus Satterfield. So I... I I had a leftover email from a mailbag from about a month ago that I wanted to get to. This is from Tony. Reminder, you can email me nick at nickbaugh.com, by the way. This is from Tony. He said, Nick, why does it seem like there is more talk about Tony White than Marcus Satterfield? It seems like I hear about Tony White more than I hear about Satterfield, both good things and even people questioning them. Not sure if you feel the same way, but wanted to get your thoughts. Love the pod. Tony. Okay, so I hadn't really noticed that until I I read the email. Um, But after reading the email and kind of thinking about it, I I guess you could say he's kind of right. Like there does seem to be over the course of the last four, five, six months before spring ball, in spring ball, coming out of spring ball, there does seem to be more people questioning Tony White and even praising Tony White than talking about Satterfield. And I guess for me, When I think about that question, my my broad sense of it is Tony White is just more prevalent in daily conversations about Husker football than Marcus Satterfield is. Now, that's anecdotal probably, and everybody's got a different kind of circle that they're running in or whatever, right? Like their little echo chamber. So everybody's circle might be different, but that's just, I'm just giving you, that was Tony's perspective, that's my perspective. But it is interesting to think about. Because why one of the things that's interesting to think about it is I think people are more prone to talk offense and play calling than defense. Right? So that's why it is a little head-scratching. Like, everyone fancies themselves a play caller. We all love to play armchair offensive coordinator. So it's interesting to think that Nebraska has a new defensive coordinator and a new offensive coordinator. And the defensive coordinator feels more talked about than the offensive coordinator. When talking about, you know, offense is usually just more fun. And it's easier to talk about. Let's be honest. We all think we know a lot about football. Go draw up how you're dealing with trips motion if you're in a cover four and they, you know, like, we don't know that, but it's like, yeah third and third and short. You like getting under center? Yeah, I like getting under center. <laughs> like, that kind of stuff. So... Why is it? Like, my attempt to unpack this is this. I think a big part of it is schemes. Tony White brings the 335 with him to Lincoln. And I think the 335 is tough for people to wrap their head around mentally. So 335. So they're like, wait, what hold on now? Wait, what? They're okay, hold on a second now. There are only going to be 3D linemen on the line of scrimmage. Now what? Huh? Like, lots of that type of internal monologue going on in Husker fans' heads over the last four or five months. Whereas, when Marcus Satterfield describes what he wants to do schematically, it fits right in the fan base's wheelhouse. Huddle up, under center, fullback, run the ball, run the quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. So fans hear that and they're like, "Oh yeah, yep, yeah, yep." Yeah. Fans can wrap their head around that picture. The 3-3-5 is a tougher one for people to to get a get a handle on. That run the quarterback huddle up fullback. Like I think that's that's it. I think it's more that. One person has a scheme that is a little different, a little unique. And a little foreign to the Big Ten, which infuses more chatter. You know, the other and the other person is talking meat and potatoes comfort food with the scheme. Right? Like, it almost is like Tony White's like, we're gonna have a nice souffle that's gonna be a nice swordfish. It's gonna be seared and topped with a halahugu and a belugu. And everybody's like, now wait a minute now. When Marcus Satterfield's like, hey man, I got a rack of ribs, got a bunch of wings, got some French fries. Everybody's like, I like it, I know it. I understand that. <laughs> so I think it's that. I think I think, I think think when you understand the scheme and all this stuff, it doesn't lend itself to as much chatter because you understand it more on the surface with it. So And I think the reality is in this part of Husker land, a lot of people agree with what's been laid out too. I think sometimes chatter can be people are going, I don't know about this. Even though people are like, I think people are excited about Tony White. I think Tony White's a more accomplished coordinator than Marcus Satterfield is. Like, if you line up both resumes, like, I think Tony White, I'm excited about Tony White. So this is in no way, shape, or form is me being like, I don't know about Tony White. I'm actually like, I think he, I'm really, the more I've gotten to absorb and watch and listen and, and all that stuff from Tony White, like, I'm pumped about Tony White. But that's just... That's how I see it. That's how I'd unpack that question. All right, next topic. So Matt Rule told Husker Online this with regards to their camp plans. He said, quote, we are going old school. We are moving into the dorms on campus. Coaches, too. Nobody is living in their apartment for 12 days to two weeks. Oh, man. Okay. I like it. So, listen, I, 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 read, I read that quote and I read the story, and, and I think this is kind of one of those classic stories where I can see, the, see both sides of this. Like, my gut reaction was just what I just said. I was like, yes, I love it. Team camaraderie, team building, this is great. But there's also this side of me. Keep in mind, I'm 39 years old and have three kids and value sleep and comfort at a really high level right now. There's also a side of me that thinks, oh, man, great sleep, feeling comfortable, and good for for all of camp maximizes camp to the fullest. Like if you aren't comfortable, you likely won't perform at your best. And I kind of think both thoughts aren't wrong. I think this is both instances where an instances where where both can be true. I think getting rest and and getting sleep and feeling comfortable matters when it comes to your performance in camp. But I also think this there is no substitute for shared experiences that team bond and team camaraderie doesn't just happen. You got to make it happen. You got to work on it. You got to invest in it. And when you are spending every waking second with your team where it's just dorms, practice, dorms, repeat. Dorms, practice, dorms, repeat. There is a bond that is built. And I also love that the coaches are doing it too because you know, I like I like it where for 2 weeks it feels like 12 days, 2 weeks, it feels like whether I'm Matt Rule or, or Jeff Sims or Isaac Gifford or Teddy Perhaska or a walk-on or whoever, we are all the same. We're all in this dorm. We're all eating the same food. We're all going to the same meeting and then the same practice. Like, we are all the same. We're all on a team. I do really like that. Especially when you are in year one of a brand-new staff and a rebuild of of the program from a culture standpoint, so I think I think that's good. I really do, but man, as a father of three kids, two under the age of three, sleep is as precious as gold. was right now. You you could take X amount of dollars, or you could get a week's worth of good sleep. I'd be like, oh man, how much money again? Because I'll take the sleep. I'm a man that values sleep and comfort and rest at this point. But be you know what uh, when you view it view it through the lens of a football player and and the health and growth of a football team, I like this move to the dorms for a camp, for camp. I do. Rule said they're going old school and I like it. Again, chemistry, camaraderie, culture, those things don't just happen. You got to kind of make them happen. You got to be intentional about it. Relationships don't just happen. You got you got to invest in them. And this is a way to invest in it. I guarantee there's going to be no phones, too, and all this stuff. It's going to be great, man. It's going to be good for them. They're going to be miserable at times, but it's going to be great for them. It's the kind of things you can point back to. Man, remember when we were in the dorm for two weeks, Bubba? It is kind of funny to think now that, like, things that were common in the 90s and the 80s, like going staying in your dorm during camp, is now, like, uh, oh boy, I tell you. We're going to ride horses, covered wagons to practice and stay at a dorm. How about that? <laughs> it's amazing how much things have changed. But I like it. You got you to gotta make chemistry, culture, camaraderie, the bond. You got to make it happen. This is one of those things how you do it. Next thought I had. I'm, I'm curious to get some people's reaction to this. Because I was thinking I was thinking about Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, and how he acts and his whole persona. I'm coming. I ain't hard to find. We coming to, you know, all that stuff. sure by now you've seen his speeches in there, and then he has a DJ where he plays music. I know his song at Jackson State was this mystical song. Then he, he would dance and all this stuff. Like, he's got this whole thing, right? So I was thinking about all that, and then I saw Colorado's win, over-under win total. So Vegas came out with their, you know, their win totals, their win projections for all college football teams. Colorado's over-under win total is three and a half. Three and a half. So when you stop for a second and think about Deion Sanders at Colorado and all that has transpired since he took the job, the complete roster flip, over 50 players have transferred out, 50. I mean, some have wondered how he's going to be able to field even a legit, real, full roster by the the time the season comes around. A lot of people think he's not going to be able to. He, you know, now, I will say this, he said he was going to do it in the first team meeting, and he's done it. But still, it's crazy to witness this thing in real time. But so I was thinking about Dion and everything he's he's done at Colorado so, so far and how he's kind of – you know, he's branded himself and his Coach Prime identity that he's created. Right? There was, there was prime time, the football player, and now there's Coach Prime. So when you think about all that stuff, all the the videos and videotaping that first meeting, basically telling everybody to hit that portal, and he's got some luggage, he's bringing some luggage with me, and 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 it's Louis and all that stuff, and I ain't hard to find. And when you think about that that persona, that Coach Prime persona and identity, when I think about about all that, and then I think about their over under win total being at three and a half wins next season. I find that fascinating because Vegas is usually spot on. And if that win total is right, let's say Colorado wins three games. They go three and nine, by the way, go look at their schedule. Getting to three wins could be hard, but let's say Colorado wins three games. They go three and nine. When I think about three and nine, and the whole coach prime brand and identity of who he is and what he projects and all that those two things don't line up at all really think about coach prime right now what you really the sunglasses flashy cameras always on him confident arrogant cocky talking a big game now think about Colorado getting their ass kicked next year and going three and nine. How does that Coach Prime identity still carry on? Can he still have that bravado and arrogance and cocky confidence to him with with cameras all on him all the time? If they legit go three and nine, two and ten, think about it, Coach Prime has never really lost big. Like, you look at it as a head coach at Jackson State, year one was the COVID year. He went four and three, but whatever. He still was a winning record in COVID, whatever, right? But then then he went 11 and two, and then last year they went 12 and one. He's been successful so far, so he can carry that swagger he had as a player into his coaching and it kind of works. But you you start your time off at the Power 5 level going 3 and 9 or 4 and 8 or 2 and 10, man, that's tough. I'll just be I'll be fascinated to see how his whole demeanor and brand and identity I'll, I'll be fascinated to see how his how that is if that level of losing unfolds. If that's how it plays out. Like, is he still going to be – are they still going to be putting locker room pregame speeches where he's saying, DJ, play my song, where they're two and eight? Are they still going to be putting that stuff out? He's still going to have the cowboy hat on with the Ray-Bans talking about, I ain't hard to find, blah, blah, blah. Like, eh. He's – when you just lost fifty-one to ten, but to USC, that's still going to happen. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. All that stuff going to go. I've always said this, like whether it's Bo Pelini's rage and, and sniping at the media and, and the officials or, or Tim Miles tweeting at halftime, all that stuff is cool and catchy and cute. But once you start losing, that stuff lands different. With Bo Pelini, it was like I love his fire and emotion, to he's a loose cannon. He's He's just not meant to be a head coach. It's not his personality with Tim Miles, it was like, I love that he's, he has fun, the tweets are unique and cool, to, hey Tim, maybe a little less tweeting at half and a little more winning and coaching, huh? I wonder how that will be for Coach Prime. All the cameras on him and speeches and videos and bravado and cocky comments on camera, That's all cool right now. But if he loses, all that stuff lands different. The entire identity of Coach Prime is largely dependent on success and winning. And if they suck and get their tails kicked and go 3-9, and that identity almost ceases to exist, or at the very least is forever a little different. This was something I always thought about with Floyd Mayweather when he he was in his prime. Like, everything about Floyd, Money Mayweather, like, everything about Floyd, his whole identity, was somewhat predicated on the fact that he was undefeated. And I always wondered how he would act if he lost. How would, you know... Can Money Mayweather and all that comes with that still operate at full capacity in its usual current form if he loses, if he gets beat? I used to always be fascinated by that. And I kind of think the same thing about Coach Prime. What happens to Coach Prime and his old identity and brand if Colorado struggles mightily? And goes 3-9. and nine. Will be fascinating to watch. Let me shift to another topic here. So, I want to talk some Creighton with this. College basketball attendance figures for the season came out. And once again, Creighton was in the top 10 nationally in attendance. Creighton ranked 6th. This last season, nationally in attendance, 17,163 fans a game. Unbelievable. 17,000 every game. Top 10 for college basketball attendance is this. Number one, North Carolina. Then number two, Kentucky. Then Syracuse. Then Arkansas. Then Tennessee. Then Creighton. Then Kansas, Indiana, Illinois, and Purdue. That's the top 10. Some pretty good schools to be a – Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas. In the last, think about this now, and Creighton's sixth. Think about this. I'd, I hit up my guy Rob Anderson for this because I was curious. Think about it. In the last 12 seasons, Creighton has finished top 10 nationally in attendance 11 times. And the only year they didn't make the top 10 was the COVID year. Creighton actually finished 34th in attendance. There were obviously COVID restrictions with fans and all that stuff. So basically, I think it stands to reason to think and to say, if it was a normal year, no pandemic, Creighton would have probably been in the top 10. But 11 of the past 12 years, Creighton, Top 10 nationally in attendance. This is something that is remarkable. It's impressive. It's extremely important. And it feels like it's almost gotten to the point where it's taken for granted, where it's not even really like a story. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, something happens for a decade plus. You get accustomed to it. What was attendance? 17? About right. 18? Yeah. Big game. What do you, that's what I mean, we expect that. Like damn, right. Just got to the point where it's it's almost taken for granted, or at least not appreciated enough. And it's just to hear stories from back when, you know, Bruce Rasmussen and Dana were trying to get the get the thing rolling, and you know, they're at the Civic, and then they they move to the Quest Center, and the move to the Quest Center came with some concerns on filling such a huge arena to now being top 10 nationally in attendance in 11 of the past 12 seasons is simply incredible. And it makes a difference on every level. It's not just a cool thing to say. It matters. It matters in recruiting, winning, attracting players, the television product, perception, and also money. It is huge all the way around. Keep in mind, Creighton doesn't have football. Basketball is the cash cow. Creighton basketball funds the vast majority – of everything around Creighton Athletics. So filling up that arena every night is unbelievably important. And I'm telling you, recruiting-wise, it's really vital. Players want to win and get to the next level. But what players want maybe as much as anything is to play in front of big crowds and packed arenas. Man, that that create, players want that. And all you gotta do is bring up, you know, bring a recruit to a game or simply show the stats to the recruits like it's gonna get their attention. Top ten nationally in attendance, once again, eleven of the past twelve years, top ten nationally in attendance. It's just gotta give a tip of the cap to Creighton fans. Really impressive run here. Something that shouldn't be taken for granted and certainly shouldn't go underappreciated. Next topic. I've actually grown to really like the Big Ten. I really have. But there there are – I just don't quite get the Big Ten and their weird line in the sand some teams have drawn with regards to playing night games in November. This just – I don't know. Like, of course, this has all come to light over the last handful of weeks with, with some details with the Big Ten television deal not going being quite finalized yet where – the NBC paid a lot of money for Saturday night primetime Big Ten games. And, of course, for NBC's deal, like, of course, that means teams like Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan playing in primetime on NBC is, like, a huge part of it. And apparently there are major objections from those schools and their willingness to play night games, primetime games, in November. I mean, Gene Smith, Ohio State Athletic Director, has said, I was reading a story today, they will not play night games at home past the first week of November. Citing weather and travel for fans and players and players not maybe getting home until 3 a.m. or something like that. So many things with this. First of all, it's funny, we are citing player travel and not wanting too taxing of a travel time and getting home late, like, so it's funny to like point at that. I guess being in a conference where Rutgers and USC are in the same conference makes sense and is okay. But Ohio State playing on the road at night in mid-November and maybe getting home at three a.m. is a bridge too far. Like what? And then pointing to the weather. I mean, give me a break. Come on, give me a break. First of all, if it's co- if it's a cold if it's a cold November day. We've all experienced this. If it's a cold November day, it's cold at 3 30 in the afternoon and it's cold at 9 30 at night. Now, might it be a little colder at 9 30? Yeah, but it's cold either way. And the other thing, it's not like the Packers and the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bears, like it's do they they, they refuse to play night games in November or December? Right? I mean, come on. I guess the big thing is I don't think it makes sense that you get to break the bank and cash in on a major TV deal and then turn around and refuse to be on TV in prime time during the biggest month of the college football season and schedule. What? Like, Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State, they want to have their cake and eat it too with this whole thing. They want to make an absurd amount of money On a TV deal, but not play primetime games in November? Come on. Tons of things don't make sense and aren't ideal in this college football world, conference expansion being maybe one of them, or the main one. But it's all done because of the money made off of TV. That's the real driver behind all this, right? I'm not breaking new ground. We've already crossed that bridge, though, right? Where we've just kind of like, TV money is our North Star. That's what we're following. We've already crossed that bridge. You're headed, You're on that path. It's just. It's a weird thing for Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State to be well across that bridge and on that path, reaping the benefits of crossing that bridge and being on that path, but then putting their foot down on night games in November in prime time after being on the path. Kind of silly and perplexing to me. Next story. Speaking of perplexing. I don't know perplexing, but just interesting. I saw a few stats that stood out to me with regards to transferring and and both college football and college basketball. In particular, transferring, quote-unquote, up a level. So maybe in basketball, like mid to low major to a power conference, high major in hoops, right? So you're going from a you know, a Mac school or a Big Sky school to a Big 12 school or something like that. And then in football, you go like Group of Five or FCS to Power Five in football. couple things with that. How about this? Bruce Feldman had a stat and a story in The Athletic. In the 2021 and 2022 recruiting cycles, there were 123 scholarship transfers from group of five schools to power five schools. Now, some of those 123 players still have eligibility left, but most don't. But of the 123 scholarship transfers that went from a group of five school to a power five school, only three got drafted. That's a pretty eye-opening number. Maybe some would hear the number 123 and think that's a pretty eye-opening number. We can certainly have that conversation. I agree with you. But the three, only three of the 123 scholarship transfers that went from a group of five to a power five, only three got drafted. That's a pretty eye-opening number, especially when oftentimes those group of five players might think the reason they're making that transfer is because they want to get drafted. I got to get to Bama, man. I got to get to Auburn. I got to get to Georgia Tech. I got to get to Michigan. I got to get to Nebraska. Then I'll get drafted. I know I just killed it at South Dakota State. I just killed it at Ball State. I just killed it at East Carolina. Now I got to go do it at North Carolina. Then I'm going to get drafted. It doesn't always work out that way, clearly. I just thought that was interesting. Then the other stat I, I saw for, for hoops was from Jeff Goodman. Jeff tweeted this. He said, there were 23 players who earned player of the year honors in what are commonly one-bid leagues, so those low-major schools. 23 players who earned player of the year honors in what are commonly one-bid leagues, one leagues. Ten of them transferred. Nine of them exhausted their eligibility. And four are currently slated to return to their school. Now, maybe that number's changed since I saw this tweet. This was a couple, this was a month ago. So it could be more. But those are that's some pretty eye-opening numbers as well. These low major schools are losing their top players at a high rate. 23 1 bid league player of the year guys. Almost half of them transferred. So you get a player of the year at Eastern Washington. They're going, Steel Ventures going to Gonzaga. Right? You get a player of the year at Vermont. They're moving on. Almost half of them transferred. I mean, I get it to a certain degree because it's very similar. Before you start kicking rocks at the players and all that stuff, like it's very similar to the coaches and what happens. It's very similar to a low major coach having a good NCAA tournament run and parlaying that and getting to a bigger job, right? Porter Moser makes a couple of runs at a little Chicago, and he goes to Oklahoma. The Fairley Dickinson coach who upset Purdue this past year got a better job at Iona. It's really no different, I guess. but it's still just interesting to think about. The days of of a low or even mid-major player of the year who still has eligibility left staying at their school is likely going to be really, really rare and only happen in specific circumstances. Like, look at if Tucker DeVries, who is the Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year, and he's the old Creighton assistant, Coach Darren Devries' son, Darren Devries, is now the head coach at Drake. But if Tucker Devries' dad, Darren Devries, wasn't the head coach at Drake, my guess is Tucker Devries has already is already transferred from Drake to Iowa or to a Power Conference school. That's my guess. Uh, my guess is if the if if, if, if if Tucker Devries is playing for someone not named Darren Devries at Drake, he's not at Drake now. So it takes very rare circumstances to stay sometimes. So I guess my main point is I think lots of power conference coaches in both basketball and football are viewing group of five schools or FCS schools in football as farm systems to pluck from, to recruit, to poach from. Or in basketball, they're viewing these mid to low major schools as farm systems to recruit players out of, to pluck players from. I just, I think holding on to really good players at the group of five or mid to low major level is going to be really, really tough moving forward. With NIL and the allure of the bigger school, that combination can be hard to turn down. So, listen, it's hard enough. To hold on to players regardless of where you're at. It's hard enough at the big schools. Look at Creighton. Creighton lost two starters to the transfer portal this year. Same thing in football. Big schools lose kids all the time. It's hard enough to hold on to your players at the big schools. It's going to be really challenging to hold on to your top players at the lower levels moving forward. Thought those numbers were interesting. Next thought. So, you know, gambling scandals have started to kind of pop up in sports. Been kind of all over the place over the last month or so. You've seen a handful of NFL players get caught betting on games. I think there's a guy for the Lions most recently got caught. In college, you had the the Alabama baseball coach was fired over being linked to some suspicious bets. Then there was the the story from a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago now, where Iowa – there was a report There as that as many as 26 players or faculty members have been under investigation about betting at Iowa. Obviously, NCAA rules uh, prohibit any student-athletes, coaches, or faculty members from gambling on any sport that they hold a championship for. So, you know, NFL, NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, that kind of gambling – Obviously, all those apply to college as well. And that includes fantasy sports, NCAA brackets, off pools. It's all against NCAA rules. So we'll see what happens with Iowa. But my, you know, you see all these stories. And my initial thought is this. For the Iowa situation mainly, my guess is it's athletes gambling on other sports and not fixing games or point shaving or anything like that. I sure hope there isn't any point-shaving or fixing games going on. I doubt it. I, I just think it's probably regular sports betting going on, fantasy football, maybe betting on NBA or whatever. Now, the Bama baseball coach is a different story. That seems way more nefarious and, and for lack of a better term, like way more, that's not good. But my... My overarching, maybe zoomed out even more, 30,000-square-foot view of this whole thing is this. Like, my big-picture reaction is this. It's probably naive to think this wasn't happening. Sports gambling is so widespread and so mainstream now, and it is so easy to place a bet. Barstool, FanDuel, DraftKings, multiple different online apps that allow you to place bets at the tap of a button from your phone anywhere, anytime. Sports gambling has never been easier to do, more mainstream, and more intertwined with the sporting world. Think of it this way. If if sports were a giant house... A giant mansion. Sports gambling felt like maybe 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, sports gambling felt like it was going on in a room in the basement by the furnace or something like that. In this sports mansion that we're talking about. If sports were a giant house. Meaning we all knew it was in the house, but it was downstairs backed by a storage room. But in 2023, now it feels like in this sports house that we've created to stick with the analogy, it feels like gambling is happening on the front porch or in the main living room with the bay window out to the front lawn. It feels like it's front and center. There are a million commercials for it. It's discussed on pregame shows. Jamie Foxx endorsing BetMGM sportsbook apps. Kevin Hart endorsing DraftKings and commercials. Barstool, arguably the biggest sports content creator consumed by young people, was bought by Penn Entertainment, and now there's a Barstool sportsbook? And a huge part of Barstool sports is sports gambling content? So it is everywhere. So I say that to say it's probably pretty naive of all of us, given how widespread and mainstream sports gambling has become, to think that this isn't happening everywhere. You just hope that point shaving and fixing games and throwing games isn't happening. That's my big thing. Of course, there are other elements that, are, you know, that aren't great with the insider information and all that, but to me, the big thing is fixing games. Because now the integrity of the game is in question. And that's a death blow to sports, right? I don't think that is what's happening with Iowa, the Iowa thing, or even the NFL stuff. But we'll see. But my overall take is in the house of sports, gambling used to be in a closet in the basement, and now it's on the front porch. It's everywhere. And when something is prevalent and mainstream on the outside of sports, it's likely prevalent inside of it too. Last thought. So, you know, watching the NBA playoffs, the you know, the Miami Heat, they're in the NBA finals, and a big reason why is because of their zone they've played. They played a ton of zone during this run of the NBA Finals. It bothered Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals. It bothered Denver. Got a game. Got game two. And, you know, I'm watching Miami run zone, and I've personally always wondered why more NBA teams don't try different defenses, different zones, different things throughout the course of a season. You basically never see anybody full-court press or three-quarter-court press, and you rarely see zone. And it's just interesting that nobody has really tried it. It's everywhere at the college level, yet nowhere to be found in the NBA. Now, listen, I get it. The, the rules of the game are different, and the level of play and caliber of player out there is different. The main thing being the rules are different. Illegal defense rules make most zones really hard to do. Like, there's defensive three seconds in the lane, so sitting in, the con- in a conventional 2-3 zone is almost impossible. And, you know, the level of play. These NBA guys are so good and so talented that thinking you can just give up maybe wide-open wing threes to NBA shooters is probably not smart. Or thinking you can press an NBA point guard is probably not the smartest move. But I don't know. Like I, What Miami has done appears to be kind of smart to me. Like they've run some half-court and three-quarter-court press, and they fall back into a 3-2 zone. And the bottom two guys on the zone, they stay out of the paint. So you're not getting – they stay out of the lane. So that you avoid illegal defense. And they also have three-quarter-court pressed to eat up shot clock time. And so for me, I just – I look at the NBA and I think, okay – you got a 24 second shot clock that goes fast. Why not throw a box press at a team to slow them down and eat shot clock? Not to mention the fact that in college and high school it's 10 seconds to get the ball across half court and in the NBA it's 8 seconds to get the ball across half court. And then when you get into the half court, you know, zone is good because it gets teams out of their pick and roll, ball screen stuff which is basically all any teams do now in the NBA. That's 99% of offense for every team in the NBA, just ball screen action. And players are so good in it. So getting them out of of true pick-and-roll offense seems like a smart thing to do. So to me, it makes sense on some levels to at least try it or at least see it more. Miami's had a lot of success with it. And so it's just, it's it's interesting in an era where basketball is really evolving and really changing and centers are three-point shooters and point guards post up and teams take 53s a game and things are really changing a lot. We haven't seen much innovation or experimentation on the defensive end in the NBA with pressing and zones. And I always like to think okay what's the what's the the ramification or the big thing to take away with if a team l- wins the wins a title. And for me if the Heat win the title, I think one of the big cuz cuz sometimes sports are a copycat league. I think zone. I think more NBA teams are going to start to look at zone. That's That might be the big takeaway from this. But I just have always watched. I'm like, I don't know why teams, you know, why not throw a three-quarter court press out there back into a 3-2 for uh, stretches? Seems like makes sense to me. We'll see. We'll see if someone will have the heat end up doing and, and if people want to try it. A Heard at Sports Network production.